Welcome to The Word from Bethlehem Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Abigail Zhang Hoffman. And I'm Pastor Amy Walter-Peterson. Thanks for dwelling in The Word with us today. Our Gospel reading is from Luke, chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for eighteen years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. The leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. This is the Gospel of our Lord. The leader of the synagogue was indignant because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. The Torah is clear. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. No work on the Sabbath. Rabbinical law taught that healing is work. Unless it's a life or death circumstance, which this certainly wasn't if this woman had managed like this for 18 long years, the work of healing can wait until the Sabbath is over. So the leader of the synagogue pleads with the crowd. There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, not on the Sabbath day. In other words, don't break the rules. But Jesus is on a mission. He's not concerned that the leader of the synagogue is not on board. He doesn't wait for the rabbis to gather and amend their understanding of what constitutes work on the Sabbath. He doesn't wait for permission. Jesus does what he was sent to do, set people free. He doesn't wait another minute to set this dear woman free from whatever it is that has quite literally crippled her for 18 years. It's actually the synagogue leaders, not Jesus himself, who call what Jesus does a healing. Notice that Jesus does not say to this woman, you have been healed, but rather, you have been set free. She has been released from bondage. She has been set straight again, or restored to relationship with God and her community. All the leader of the synagogue sees is that Jesus violated the rules of the Sabbath. He doesn't see this act for what it is. God doing what God does, releasing God's people from what holds us captive. 
How often do we miss taking part in or celebrating what God is doing? Freeing, renewing, resurrecting. Because we're holding on too tightly to our own expectations for how and where and when God ought to do God's work. This week, I celebrate a milestone in my own life and ministry, 15 years of ordination. So I've been reflecting on my own life of faith and my practice of ministry. And this question feels particularly salient, both for me and for the church. What rules or traditions or expectations are we holding on to so tightly that we are missing or even getting in the way of where and how God is showing up? As I reflected on the gospel this week, I find myself really empathizing with the leader of the synagogue. He's just doing what the law says. All the leaders before him have taught that observing the Sabbath means no work, no healing, no exceptions. What else might come crashing down if some rules just no longer apply? I feel for the leader of the synagogue because I've been there. I felt that knot grow in my stomach when someone breaks the rules for a religious life that I've learned so well. In the Lutheran tradition, we believe some rules are necessary for the sake of good order. That's the phrase used in the Augsburg Confession, for the sake of good order. Meaning, these rules are not a matter of salvation. They are not ways to earn God's favor or grace but they exist to ensure all essential functions of the church, baptism and communion and preaching the word, are provided for. Of course, sometimes we end up so focused on following the rules that we forget that those rules are there to scaffold our faith, not substitute for it. That's what happened to me one day in my first year of the ministry program at the University of Chicago Divinity School. Now, it's important to know that I chose this school specifically because it was not a Lutheran seminary. It was an ecumenical school. I wanted to be formed in ministry alongside other flavors of Christianity. I was born into the Lutheran church. My dad is a Lutheran pastor. My nursery as a baby was quite literally in his study. Lutheran theology, Lutheran tradition, Lutheran ecclesiology, that's just the fancy term for the way of organizing a church, all of this was the air I breathed since the day I was born. So I wanted to be formed in Christian ministry more broadly, not just the Lutheran dialect. And the ministry program at U of C did not disappoint. I learned alongside Methodists and Episcopalians, Catholics and Baptists, those from the United Church of Christ and Disciples of Christ, and more. Every Wednesday was chapel, and it was led by whatever student or professor or nearby clergy had signed up. One day early in the term, a student maybe a year or two years ahead of me led worship, and she led a communion service. Wait a minute. What had I walked into? My mind was racing, 
She had definitely not graduated. She is definitely not ordained. She is definitely not a pastor. Why is she presiding over communion? She is definitely breaking the rules. We were invited forward to receive and I stayed in my seat. I didn't know what to do. I felt the knot grow in my stomach. Who gave her the authority? Who gave her permission to preside over communion? If I go forward, am I rejecting all that I've ever learned as Lutheran? That the pastor alone has the authority to preside for the sake of good order. Because if we abandon that good order, who will make sure we faithfully remember Jesus' mandate to do this in remembrance of me? If we abandon the good order, who will make sure we fully appreciate the dual nature of the elements as bread and body, wine and blood? If we abandon the good order, what else will I need to reconsider? What else gets thrown out the window? Now, it's important to know that the student who led chapel that day is part of the Disciples of Christ denomination. Communion is so central to their worship that their denominational logo is a chalice. She wasn't breaking any rules in her denomination. But still, I wondered, if I go forward, if I receive communion from her, am I complicit in undermining the good order I've been taught? I was just a candidate for ministry. No one had approved me to become a pastor yet. And I am nothing if not a rule follower, my friends. So I watched others go forward to receive communion, still not sure what I should do. I'd love to tell you that I recognized the ways that the rules were holding me captive and preventing me that day from accessing the means of grace. I'd love to tell you that I boldly said, down with the rules, give me Jesus. But the knot in my stomach remained, and so did I in my seat. Then I saw an emeritus professor walk forward. It was Martin Marty. If you don't know that name, he's a really, really big deal. A prolific author, American historian of religion, and an ordained Lutheran pastor. While it still felt wrong in the pit of my stomach, I rationalized that if he could take communion under these circumstances, it must be okay for me to do as well. Or at least I wouldn't get into any trouble for it. Today, one of the things I am most thankful for is how my formation in ministry forced me to examine not just my faith, but my practice of faith. It was tempting on that day, and on so many days since, to just keep playing by the rules as I had been taught them. And I would have missed out on experiencing, on partaking in God's presence. As I said before, sometimes we end up so focused on following the rules that we forget that they are there to scaffold our faith not substitute for it. I'm grateful for the times and places I've been stretched to expand my understanding of where and how and through whom God shows up. And that has rarely happened without breaking some rules or challenging some expectations.
Today's gospel has me wondering, what shocking thing would Jesus do if he showed up in our church today? What rules would he break? What traditions would he change? What practices would he amend? I don't have answers. This is not a sermon with a hidden subtext about all the traditions I think we should throw out or rules I wish we would break. But I do share that knot in the pit of my stomach, that sense that God is doing something new with the church, that things are changing in ways I'm not entirely sure about or comfortable with, that God is doing a new thing, challenging and stretching me and this body of Christ. The woman Jesus set free had 18 years with a very, very limited perspective. She was so bent over that she was able only to see her own feet in front of her. While I don't doubt this woman presented with a physical ailment, I also can't help but see her as a metaphor, too. Somehow, kind of think we all might be a bit like that woman. Our view, our perspectives, are limited to what we can see directly in front of us. And I notice that this woman doesn't ask Jesus to cure her. She didn't ask for anything to change. She simply showed up, and he sees her and sets her free by setting her straight. As her spine is straightened, and she uncurls and stands up, she can then see a much bigger perspective, far more than just her own feet in front of her. That's the image I have out of this story. This woman, having been curved in on herself for so long, is able to lift her head, look beyond herself, out at the whole world. I imagine her kind of uncurling her spine, standing up with her arms maybe even outstretched towards the sky, finally able to glimpse the height and breadth and depth of God's love unbound. I kind of imagine that maybe she had even stopped noticing how narrow and small her view had become. But once Jesus has set her free, she experiences the expansiveness of God's presence. God's grace, God's mercy, and God's activity in this world. I pray Jesus does the same thing for each of us and for his beloved church. Amen. We hope you've been fed by the word this week. Don't miss an episode. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And share your feedback with us at the word 
at blcfairport.org. And if you'd like to learn more about Bethlehem Lutheran Church or support the ministry we share, including this podcast, please visit www.blcfairport.org.